This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live. If you're listening, you've got to stay tuned. We've got a phenomenal show planned for you tonight. We have two very special guests. First, we have live in studio with us one of the candidates for Miami City Commission. He's running for District 1, which is an open seat. Eliezer Melendez is here with us live in studio for the first half of the program. And then at the end, we're going to have Brian Hernandez. He is the president of the Kendall Democratic Club. Brian's going to be joining us around 640. But this is the part of the program where you get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues of importance that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And I wanted to discuss something that is coming out on Washington Press very, very soon. It's a story. Actually, oh, geez, they just published it. I know they're about to uh, entitled prosecutors just figured out how to nullify a Republican poll tax on ex felons. And it's a very, very big story for us in Florida, I think nationally as well, because what happens in Florida never seems to stay in Florida, Florida man. But right now there are one point four million Floridians. That's a big number. One point four million Floridians representing one out of every uh, 14 men, women and children in the entire state who are forbidden from voting. Just think about how different Florida politics would look if 1.4 million people started voting in the next election that haven't been voting before. Well, somebody did think about that, in fact, an activist. An activist who helped put Amendment 4 onto the ballot, which was passed by 64.9% of the Floridians who voted in the last elections and added onto the Florida state constitution. Problem solved, right? Wrong. This is Florida. We do not have democracy here. The Republican Party controls both uh, houses of the legislature and decided to pass a new poll tax, a uh, discriminatory piece of legislation that says that people who would like to vote now must pay all court fines, all costs, and even civil liens pretty much anything they ever owed anybody ever in their entire life, a burden that absolutely nobody else has in order to vote. Look, you know, I owe 45 bucks to the county on a parking ticket. Does that mean I don't get to vote? Nope. But if I was an ex-felon, maybe. And that, of course, defeats the entire purpose of Amendment 4. The purpose of Amendment 4 was to re-enfranchise people. Would you like to know why felons were not allowed to vote in the state of Florida at all? Without a very, very costly and very time consuming, we're talking five to seven year process where the governor has to bless that person to vote. The reason is, is that after the Civil War, it was added to Florida's Constitution. Now, to make a distinction that people seem to miss, they call it a Jim Crow era law. But it actually isn't a Jim Crow era law because Jim Crow only came up in the 1890s when it looked like the progressive movement was going to unite the poor people, the poor white people and the poor black people. So, you know, that was what Jim Crow was all about, dividing the people 
by uh, race instead of them combining by economic interest. Because guess what? Poor black people and poor white people, poor Hispanic people, really any poor people have the same kind of interest. And when I say poor, I mean people that make less than a million dollars a year in this country today. But back then it was a little bit less, obviously. So that's actually not a Jim Crow era law. That was the 1890s all the way through the 1960s. It is a Reconstruction era law. Now, a little history lesson. Uh, the United States had to pass a series of acts. Uh, one of them was called the KKK Act of 1871, which survives today as the uh, the sole law that lets you get redress when, say, a local police officer beats you up for no reason. Um, that was the era that this Florida constitutional amendment was passed, and it had a very clear purpose back then. Nobody was confused about why these restrictions were placed on voting, were placed on the franchise, and placed on people's civil rights. They were enacting what is called the Black Codes. The goal of those laws was to disenfranchise black people permanently and to create a new system of slavery through the court systems, through the legal system. It worked. And here we are. Uh, we have three local prosecutors in Miami-Dade County, Hillsborough County, and Palm Beach County that are all seeking to use the court system to clear all of the fines. And I think that's a marvelous idea. I think it's a time that has come, uh, even without this poll tax that the Republican Party has placed on ex-felons who'd like to vote, I think that maybe this is going to be a good side benefit, clear the, these people's names. Because would you like to know what percentage of fines and fees and court costs that are assessed typically get collected by the counties? Roughly 3%. Because the state legislature also mandates all manner of fines and uh, uh, court costs and all sorts of things that make the people incarcerated in the justice system pay for the justice system. Although it's pretty disproportionately impacting, guess what? Racial minorities, people of color, and poorer people just like any law in Florida. So I wish luck to Catherine Fernandez-Rundle, to Dave Aronson, to, uh, to the, the Hillsborough County DA. I think that it's long past time that these people are given relief from these excessive fines, and it's something that even our Constitution prohibits. I mean, if 97% of these fines are uncollectible, then aren't they excessive? Shouldn't they be removed anyway? Shouldn't they be removed for the people that aren't felons that get hit with these fines, these crippling fines? I was just reading about an FTC decision against debt collecting companies that were collecting debts illegally, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fines, but everything was held in abeyance. They only had to pay a tiny little fraction of their fine because they couldn't afford to pay. Well, none of our laws have that. And now they're being used to disenfranchise people who should otherwise vote. Florida should be a blue state. It would otherwise be a blue state. And it needs to be a blue state if you want to have any fairness in anything that's going on on the state level, which trickles down to your local level. And this is something that everybody needs to get involved with. I suggest donating to the League of Women Voters. They're a nonprofit organization that's deeply involved in this. They're a certified voter registration organization. And I spoke with the president of the Miami League of Voters today, and I recommended. I said, please, please, please ask the League of Voters to make a community service program that all these people can go into so that if you want to become a felon whose rights are restored and you need your fines to be wiped out, you can do community service helping other ex-felons register and other people who want to register to vote. Why not? We can do it. Make it happen. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Uh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Eliazar Melendez. He is a candidate for commission in District 1, City of Miami. Eliazar, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Great to be here, Grant, as always. So tell our audience in just a couple of minutes a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to run for city commission in Miami's District 1, which covers Alapata, Alapata, mostly Alapata. About 40% of the district is Alapata. It also includes the area around Great Plain Heights um, and Flagami, what's called the area around Blue Lagoon near to the airport. It's quite a wide district. Um, It's also quite a poor district and really a humble working class district where it's real people trying to get by. I have been involved in various forms of making sure that we pass better policies in Florida by whatever means necessary. I've been a climate activist for a few years now, pushing the city, county, city of Miami Beach, and city of Coral Gables and other places to have better policy in that regards. Um, and I have been uh, someone that's also been involved with political campaigns for the past few cycles. Um, came from being a journalist and took the more biased route of actually trying to do change by pushing it rather than writing about it. And I basically saw after the last cycle, I was sitting at my house. The last after, election, the, the midterms. The, the last election, correct. The, after November 2018, I had been working for a few candidates. Most of them lost. Uh, the biggest loss was Senator Bill Nelson. Uh, that one, that was rough. We had a, a long campaign, lost by about 9,000 votes in the state of Florida, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. I think of it as one fraction of District 24, Congressional District. Look, there's still, there's still articles coming out about... No, Harvard how, actually just brought an article out about yeah, it, saying about, that's uh, what cost them the race. Yes, one, one, one small spot where they just had the ballot design was, was off, and that would have been it, you know? Sure. Um, so they basically, after, after that devastating loss, I sat down and looked out my window, and I saw, what do I do next? I could have gone to work for John Morgan to go work on the next uh, initiative at the state of Florida level to pass some progressive policy. I could have hopped on uh, one of the 20,000 presidential campaigns that that we're having right now. I could have hopped on a plane to New Hampshire and do that. But I looked at the window. I had worked in Alapata during the cycle, during the, during the 2018 election. Our headquarters for the local office were right here at IBEW on 17th Avenue. And when I wasn't going around the state meeting pastors and neighbor leaders and trying to surrogate for the senator, I was out here meeting people and talking to them about what the issues were that they cared about and why. And I noticed something that, as a Puerto Rican, resonated a lot with me culturally, which is the fact that people in this district, they don't, they don't really complain. You ask them what's wrong or you ask them how, how are things doing and they say, you know, things are good. We're good. Everything's good. That is similar to how things were in Puerto Rico, and particularly how they were after Hurricane Maria, where I was uh, deeply involved in helping the relief effort there. You would go and ask people, how are things going? And they're like, no, no, you know, we're good. We're good. <laughs> and it didn't mean we're, they were good. Maybe it, it was just, not uh, going that well after yeah, Maria. It, it just meant we're alive. We're here. We're pushing forward. But things aren't good. You look at this district, and the streets are messed up. The flooding issues that happen here don't get taken care of the same way that they do elsewhere in other places in the district. If it makes you feel any better, the the streets are fucked up all over the city of Miami. I don't think they can compare the way that they are here, to be honest, because there's places that haven't been touched in 25, 30 years. But, you know, we'll have that that, that match uh, some other time. But just the attention to the district is not there in terms of infrastructure, in terms of people feeling that they have something that they can go to and be proud of the way that I saw, for example, 
when I worked in the city commissioner in the city in the city hall for Commissioner Russell, right? I worked for a commissioner that represents a much wealthier um, and and water facing district, right? Sure. Where there's a lot more development and there's a lot more activity and there's a lot more attention. And I saw what happens when people and their leadership demand to be taken care of and for attention to be paid for them, which is not what's happening here. Well, that's what happens in the South Grove. I mean, every every uh, wheel that squeaks gets greased right away. I think that part of being an effective leader is creating effective leadership around you, right? It's okay. not about having 10,000 followers. It's about having 100 other leaders that are part of your network that can help mobilize. And look, the squeaky wheels are those leaders, too. The people that are sitting in their balcony, like looking left and right and kind of, you know, like telling gossiping and helping everyone's business, but they know what's up and they tell you and they help you figure it out. Those are leaders, too. The pastors, the uh, labor activists, the people that are out there on the street helping organize. Those are leaders. And that's that's the people that make things happen. So what can be done to change what's going on in District 1? I mean, you're saying that the infrastructure is crumbling and it's not being fixed. It's not getting the attention that the rest of the city is getting, or let's say the districts where the commissioners live, like the South Grove. So how can you bring change to District 1 if you were elected as its next commissioner? I think part of it is really understanding where we spent as a city and where we invest to get the best return on investment, right? Okay, um, so where do we spend now? Well, right now, for example, we have a stormwater master plan that hasn't even been finished. Correct. We have we have a process in order to make it happen, and we're already starting to spend the bond money that was approved in 2017 for flooding mitigation. Okay. Which, right? If you're spending money before you have the plan that tells you how to best uh, how to most appropriately spend the money, you're probably not going to do it in the best way, right? That's a lot of how the decisions are done in the city of Miami. And why but, is that? Political considerations. It's easier to say hey, um, we're going to split this five ways, and you get to do whatever you want with your money, and I'm not going to question it. Just don't question what I do with my fifth of the money. And, you know, if it happens to go to a nonprofit that your relatives are a part of, we're not going to question that. And that is a relegation of leadership. That is basically them, them surrendering to saying, I just want this to be split five ways. I'll spend it how I want. I won't mess on your stuff even if, if it looks kind of crooked. And uh, that's not right. The money gets wasted and it doesn't go to the people that need it and doesn't go to the communities that need it the most. Well, isn't there a balance between collegiality and just going it on your own? Because, like, that's a big issue in the city commission right now. Like, there's times where commissioners vote across districts, so to speak. They're like, oh, I'm going to vote for this project in your district that you don't like and vice versa. Um, So where, where do you draw the line? If you were elected, how often do you cross lines, so to speak, and... You know, say, hey, I got to do this in your district since, you know, you did this in mine or vice versa. I mean, how does this is a very unusual dynamic in the city of Miami. We don't have five commissioners for one city. We have five cities with five commissioners sitting on one board. I would argue there's five mini mayors of 10 different cities, right? Because there are significant cultural and economic and and just like lawless um, law abiding differences in the different parts of the cities. Right. So. I would say that part of it is understanding that you're a city commissioner, right? You're there to serve the entirety of the body politic. Of course, you have to, uh, you know, put the people that elected you first, but you got to understand that it's all about the entire city. The other thing is really think about what is the plan that we're following together. For example, I'll give you a, a very simple one, housing. You have six, uh, five commissioners and the mayor, and you have six different housing agendas. You have some uh, one commissioner that wants to build a housing authority to do public housing. You have one commissioner that just cares about 
funding elderly housing projects that currently exist. You have one commissioner that's talking about rehabs of single-family housing. You have one commissioner that's talking about transit-oriented development, uh, essentially new multifamily development that would be um, inclusive Near metro of, rails. Of, yeah, so of, of, of various um, income levels. And then you have the mayor saying that there's a plan for a certain number of units, a lot of which is rehab, correct? So that's six different plans. That's six different agendas. Quite honestly, the mayor who was, who was elected citywide should be leading on this, I think can lead on this, and basically say, we're going to form a coalition of three votes in this in this commission, and we're going to get together and decide kind of where the city's going to go, and this is the direction that the city's going to have for the next eight, eight years, six years now while I'm mayor, right? I think that's important and significant, and that... I, it, I think it's a little premature to say he's got six more years, he's got two more years. Well, I, I, I understand the, the political calculation there, but for the people in the city that are trying to make investment, that are trying to decide, do we come in as a company to uh, spend on affordable housing? You know, they need to understand that, that that's the policy direction we're going to get. So, Elazar, tell our listeners where they can find out more about your campaign, where they can reach out to you online and continue this conversation if they want to. Sure. Um, my website is Melendez, M-E-L-E-N-D-E-Z, for Miami, F-O-R, Miami dot com you can also find me with the same na- uh, handle on facebook and instagram post quite a bit on facebook so you, that's probably the best melendez for miami dot com excellent all righty and we'll be right back this is the only in miami show <laughs> Bump the tweeters and the speakers, turn the baseline up. If you're dosing, what's your potion? It's swelling up your emotions. Roller coasting, dance for motion. She's ego tripping, you're boasting. Focus, 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 focus. Five and down, you're cute, she's fine. You're halfway there with this video rhyme. You can fake it till you make it, like a wish on a star. Put your hands in the air, cause you know who you are. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Eliazar Melendez. He is a candidate for commission, uh, City of Miami Commission in District 1. Eliazar, thanks for joining me on the program tonight. Of course. So if you could do one thing, wave a magic wand and get one proposal passed, if you were elected, what would that one proposal be? Resilient communities when it comes to climate change adaptation. We are looking at spending money and intellectual capital and just a lot of attention over the next few years in what we do about sea level rise and climate change. A lot of it has been focused so far on sea level rise adaptation, right? Flooding, pumps, um, you know, hydrology projects that improve where we are, changing the code to make sure that our buildings survive higher flooding levels and all that. That's fine, but climate change means a lot more for most of the people in the city who are poor 
and who are vulnerable and not going to be in the best place to handle and just say, get out of the city when there's a crisis, like Governor, then Governor Scott said, New York and Irma, right? It means sure. more increased... Um, just get on your helicopter and go, baby. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, basically, back in Irma, if you'll remember, Governor Scott got on TV with his Navy cap and said, get on your SUV and head to Atlanta. I mean, and, and by the way, you'll remember that the roads were backed up and some people ran out of gas in the middle of the road. So. Funny you mentioned that. I was talking with my uh, my cousin's husband, and she he said that it took them 20 hours yeah. to get to Atlanta. It that was literally yeah. spent thousands of dollars, lose a week at work, and by the way, it hit two Atlanta. Two weeks at work. It hit Atlanta sometime. Yeah, two weeks at work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it didn't make sense. But we're going to see more increase in more significant tropical storms, more um, common tropical disease outbreaks like Zika that we had here again in 2017. Heat, you know, right now we have 23 days on average of extreme heat every year. That's when the temperature and the humidity make the heat index go at a, over 105. We're going to have about 120 in 30 years. That's a lot. That's a lot. And if, we're in, if we have a traffic system that, for example, consists the way it is today of a patchwork of uncovered bus stops, that's a transit system that's not going to work four months out of the year. So that's the kind of thing that I really want to push forward, that when we consider climate change, it's not just about putting pumps and racing roads. Well, you know, the, the Miami Herald's uh, Doug Hanks tweeted out a uh, story today from August 2016. Uh, Miami-Dade County Mayor Carlos Jimenez was running for re-election, so they introduced a brand-new air-conditioned bus stop, the first of its kind. Guess how many of those have been installed since then? None. It was like last week that it happened, right? None. Yeah. Zero. Zip. Yeah, and how many bus routes did uh, Alice Bravo eliminate in order to afford that? <laughs> one only wonders. Talk about the things you don't want to export from the city of Miami. Alice is one of them. <laughs> So, I mean, as a city commissioner, one of the things you could really impact would be the city of Miami's transportation department. Guess what, people? City has a transportation department, and it's got a whole transportation system. If you were elected commissioner, what would you do to change or improve the trolley system? Because, you know, it's pretty good when it works. I think we have to have a user experience focused system. You have to think about people getting to the stop. Being at the stop, waiting for the st- for the bus for the bus or trolley to come, then getting on. How does that work? What do they do when they're carrying you know groceries or they have a box from Amazon or whatnot? I've All been doing okay with that part. My problem is when it says it's going to take twenty minutes, you show up twenty minutes later and it says it's taking twenty more minutes. Right, but that's part of the experience as well, Grant. I mean, you were looking at at, at a system where it's like you know a Russian relay in terms of like how much it's going to take and how and how much you know that it's going to be there or not, right? Um, that needs to improve markedly because otherwise people don't use it. Transit's very interesting because it becomes a thing where the less the the you think it's it's a weird product where the more that it's used, the more that it is required because it creates a critical mass where people do want to use it. Look, right. a lot of the way that our transit system was developed historically, the one that's a trolley system that the city of Miami operates was due to the relief funds from the 2008-2009 financial crisis, right? Yep. And cities got that money, and they decided to spend it. Um, well, they bought the trolleys with the relief money, and then they fund them through the CITT, uh, which is uh, you know the Citizens Independent Transportation Trust. Four of those are a lie. Uh, three of the four are a lie. And uh, you know that's, that's how that system operates. That's why it's free. Right. In a way, though, being started just by federal requirements created a stranglehold in terms of how the routes were designed 
and why certain stops and certain certain things went where. Uh, for example, there's certain requirements of not conflicting with county routes that make it so that the trolley is sometimes forced to go to places that we know no one's going to take the trolley at. So it's it has to be rethought and done using common sense rather than, well, this is how we can make this dollar go an extra 300 fees. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I've experienced all sorts of fun. And uh, I mean, when I say fun, I mean totally irritating uh, experiences on the trolley, like the time that they eliminated the last stop on Biscayne Boulevard before you get over the Brickell Bridge. So if you uh, don't get off the trolley at Flagler and Biscayne, you have to go all the way to Fifth Street and Brickell, which can take 30 minutes in good traffic. Interesting. I, I, I do know that that's an example. The, 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 there is no one-seat ride in some of the best destinations that the trolley should have. You can't take the trolley from Biscayne Boulevard to Brickell, right? No, you can. That's the problem. Well, well, I'm sorry. The problem is that, you know, you, there's three trolleys stuck on one side of the bridge or three trolleys stuck on the other at all times. Right. I, I meant to, like, the end of Brickell, right? So you, you, you actually have to transfer in, in certain seats, and you certainly can't take it into the groove, right? Uh, so it's it's things that you have to take into account because you want to, again, design a system that's user based on the user experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. So what other initiatives are you looking forward to if you were elected? as the District 1 Commissioner. Give me an example of one thing that you think Commissioner Gort has implemented in the district that's really, really positive he'd like to build on. I think that Commissioner Gort has focused positively on helping certain nonprofits and helping, for example, the programs to do nutritional assistance to the elderly, which are needed because we are, um, you know, we're, we're a poor part of town that really people would go hungry if those programs didn't exist. I want to expand that to really look at food deserts and really provide for people that are not necessarily elderly but that are, you know, not well-nourished because of the kind of food that's available in their neighborhood, and I want to look into that. But there's a lot that has to do with looking at the main commercial corridors of Alapata and uh, Flagami and the rest of the, of the district where we are right now, which is 7th Avenue, 17th Avenue, 22nd Avenue, Northwest 7th Street. Look, Northwest 7th Street is a great example. You close your eyes and you visualize what that street could be. It could be Coral Way. How, how, uh, how much of the district is, uh, you know, give me the boundaries for our sure. listeners so they know if they're inside the district. They can think of it as two areas. The first area is Alapata, which is everything between 7th Avenue and 27th Avenue, south of uh, 112, so 30, 38th Street, to the Miami River, right? And okay. That's, that's the area that is basically a parallelogram that covers about 40% of the district. The rest, think of the areas uh, in that corner where the Marlins Stadium is, so 17th Avenue and 7th Street. Everything that is north and west of that to the south bank of the Miami River on the north side, and then west all the way to 63rd Avenue, going all the way past the airport, all the way past where Blue Lagoon is. Gotcha. So it's like all of Flagami. All of Flagami. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I thought that District 4 picked up some of that. They, they do pick everything in Flagami south of Northwest 7th Street. So ah, think of like gotcha. 7th Street and 17th Avenue as being the oh, corner. Oh, so you got West Flagami. I got West Flagami. I got Blue Lagoon and uh, basically around the 836. Everything that's on yeah. on both sides of the 836 is, is mine. Where, as you can imagine, because of our wonderful state legislature and our county government and their tolling regime that they've imposed on citizens in the past few years, Traffic becomes a major issue because no one wants to pay the tolls and everyone goes into residential neighborhoods to not pay the tolls. 
Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Let's do this. We're going to take a very short break and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And I am joined by Eliezer Melendez. He is a candidate for District 1 City Commissioner in the city of Miami. Eliezer, thank you so much for joining me on the program. Of course, Grant. So you just mentioned the magic words of 836 tolls and traffic. Uh, have you heard about the latest uh, Tallahassee power grab with the greater GMX versus the MDX? I've heard of the long-running saga. I don't know if there's any developments in the past day or so, but I yes, it's been something that's been on the news, and obviously they have uh, two political powers fighting it out, and the people aren't really benefiting, it seems, from either proposal. So you mentioned that the tolls are driving people into the local roads. What could the city do about that problem in District 1? Because, like you said, your district is basically everything along the 836 from 63rd Avenue up to 17th Avenue. So there's different, 7th, really. there's different ways that we could work with the county to prevent people who get off the highway to go through residential streets to not do that, um, including a lot of traffic mitigation through speed bumps, speed tables, circles, planting trees. That's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that should be happening anyway. But more than anything, we need to advocate at the county level and state level, right? This is something that I tell the residents when I go door to door that they will never hear from me in terms of what they normally hear from politicians at this level, which is, oh, I'm sorry, that's not my problem because it's the county or the state, right? I tell them, it doesn't matter if it's the county, the state, the federal government. If I need to grab your hand and go talk 
with together with you to your county commissioner, state rep, congressperson. I'll do that because that's my job. And uh, and, you know, that's what we need to do. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room in District 1. That is a, a billion-dollar commercial project with a hotel, uh, a retail facility, a tech hub, and, uh, oh, yeah, it's got a loss leader, a soccer stadium. Uh, city residents are being asked to subsidize it to the tune of a half a billion dollars. And there's no traffic study. It's called Mel Reese. Today, it's a golf course, um, serves a bunch of underprivileged uh, children, uh, children with disabilities. Uh, but a f couple of billionaires and a soccer legend want to turn it into this, uh, you know, subsidized venue. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a good idea uh, since we don't have a traffic study yet or anything and they're going to get a no-bid deal out of it? Right. Um, it doesn't have a traffic study right now. I think that part of the dis fact is that the No, they said that the study exists. They just won't give it to us. Right? Well, they'll certainly have to release that when I'm there. I mean, that's that's there's accountability and transparency that needs to happen. That happens with any deal. I mean, that's 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 a completely different thing. Well, Commissioner Gord is very strongly opposed to it. He says as long as he's on the commission that he and uh, Manolo Reyes, who's in District 4 and also up for re-election, will oppose it and it will never happen. But if you're on the commission, would you vote for it or against it? I think I would need to see what the project actually is. Right now, we only have essentially speculation because there hasn't been a... a no, they a, submitted a complete plan a couple weeks have ago. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, it's on their website. Okay. I mean, I haven't actually gone through well, the whole thing. big lease with everything. I mean, the lease says... Okay. You know, I, I would need to see exactly like the, the, the final details on it. But here's the thing. People voted right with a substantial majority to have a process right so Not people were lied to by these well, billionaires i mean i saw the ads they were lied to and they they were lied to by the herald the herald i wrote a story to them that said herald not a watchdog they published it because they're not a watchdog um you know the city commissioner for district two pretty much closed his eyes held his nose worked in the back room until two in the morning and said i've got a new idea let's vote on this and that's what we got. Do you think that's how city business I, no, should be conducted? I, well, no, that's not how city business should be conducted. But I don't Will agree you with ever your, sit your, your, sorry, in on, the back room I, until I want, 2 a.m. I want, I want, yeah, I, I know, with, but, with but, but big, hold on, let, yeah. me, let me one thing at a time. I don't think that's a fair characterization of what happened because you're saying that basically the fact that we went through a democratic process where everyone had the opportunity to be heard. Nobody had the opportunity to be heard. None. No there was there was months of 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 run up from the thing there being put no on the agenda no to hearing. the actual vote. There Look. was no public hearing after these people presented their pitch. There was no public hearing after they worked in the back room until two in the morning, and then it got jammed onto the ballot. And then these guys spent two million dollars. <throat> How much do you think Advocates Against it spent? Probably like twenty grand. Look, the fact is, people voted for it. And is right, that democracy? It is the best system that we have. So Look, people this are lied to, and the city does nothing about it, and they Look, help. No, no, no. Let That's me let democracy? me let me let me explain to you where I see this. Right. Okay. Right now, for example, a lot of people debate the electoral college. Oh, is that a fair representation system? It's not applicable here. It is absolutely Let's applicable keep it down because to the city. no, no, because because keep I want to I want I want to make this comparison here. The fact that just because it's a system that perhaps is not a hundred percent representative of where you would like the decisions to be made doesn't mean it's the best system that we have right so now the electoral so, college was created for racist purposes it was created to make sure that southern states that had slaves kept and, control and we should of change it but until we do we're not just going to say oh because like that decision was made on the death system it's not legitimate well, well, because that's how you start so, you start basically so at what point do you say that this is an illegitimate decision I mean, do we have a legitimate system for making that decision in the city? Of I Miami? think that there are several lawsuits, which I know that you're very well aware of, have been filed and can be filed and perhaps should be filed, that 
will determine whether there was. Is that know, how democracy should work? Everything gets lied about, stolen. I don't think done in that, the darkness. I two a.m. meetings. I think that right now we have right the the process for the. I'm sorry, the process for this thing. You're saying they lied because they, they put ads that you didn't agree with. Nobody and agrees the people, with. Nobody's saying agrees with no, these ads. Except sixty-eight percent of the electorate grant. And here's the thing. And here's the it thing wasn't that's sixty-eight percent. That's important. It was not sixty-eight. It was like sixty. I think it's actually quite offensive for people to say, and specific type of people to say, right, that the voters will. So, so will you was, work in the back room until two in the morning for no, the your? I wouldn't have. Will the, you go to the mayor and say, "I'm going to sit here until two in the morning and craft a deal to cut out the public"? Will you do that? No, I wouldn't have done the deal that way. But I'm saying well, that's that what it, Ken Russell did. Do you approve of that? I I wasn't there for that, Grant. You know, I know I, you I, weren't there. That's why was, he did it. Hello, why why do you think we're talking and not he and me and Ken? But do you I approve was, of doing business that way? That's what's going on in the city of Miami. You're going to walk into that office if you're elected, and on day one, the mayor is going to show up and say, "I've got something for you." And I'm going to say, "Can the people see it? The people need to see it before we move forward on it." I mean, so that's you're going to say that this multi-billion-dollar project, the most important thing that's ever going to happen in District One, should be accountable. Should be open years? and accountable. Absolutely. So, Look, what and if it's things- not open and accountable? Should it be canceled? Do you think that that's a fair vote? Is that democracy? If this project is not open and accountable and something that actually benefits the residents, of course I won't vote for it. But I well, will vote. It hasn't and move, been already. I will vote and move forward on just ha- keeping the process going because that's what be- the people ask of us. You know. So you'll ask for bids. That is not what the people voted on. People voted not to ask for bids, and I think no, that people th- voted for a soccer stadium. They didn't vote for a Saudi tech fund to come in and get a below market rent and earn a couple hundred billion uh, million dollars. Literally, a two hundred million dollar subsidy is at stake here. The language was clear, and again, it I didn't think, say tech hub. Look, let's let's put it this way: if this thing was so crooked in the way it was sold, why did the South Grove vote against it? It, because it was crooked, and that's why the South Grove voted against it. So the people it. in the South Grove are smarter than the rest of the city? Is that what you're saying? They're a little bit more informed, perhaps. Okay. So, see, that's an elitist and, honestly, you know racist what? attitude that, that I is think is, not that is elitist. pushing, okay, that that is is simply pushing factual. That the people that are against this project are you know basically what? saying the, the dumb uh, Latino people in the rest of the city don't get it. No, and therefore, no. And therefore, we should be against Two it. And I find million that extremely offensive. You know what? $2 million was spent by some Latino people to lie to other Latino people. And if you don't believe that, go back and look at what they were sending out saying that this stadium will create jobs, okay? It won't. You're talking the, about, ma- so some of the biggest the labor is, unions in Miami is, are Are you going this. to vote? Are you going to vote for a no-bid deal that is the fruit of the poison tree? Yes or no? And that's all I'm I've got going, to ask you. I'm going yes to vote no. for a fair deal. but not. Is that a fair deal? What they've approved, is that a fair deal? I don't have it in front of me. So when I get it in front of me, it's something that So you're that running for commission and you haven't read it yet and it's been out for a month? And this is the most important issue in your district? This is, by the way, this is not the most important issue in my it district. It is a I'll billion dollar subsidy. Because the most important issues in my a district... A billion dollar no, subsidy to a second generation Cuban-American the, business person who is the head of an NYSE-listed company. The people in my district, I go to the doors and they want their street to be fixed. They want to tackle the afford, They want us to tackle the affordable housing crisis. And if we they give want, a billion dollar subsidy to some billionaires, is that going to fix the affordable housing is crisis? Is there a billion dollar check that's going to be cut? Or is that just your interpretation well, of how things are? See, no, that's that's the, the thing, amount of money that the city is going to forego. The people are, that's the that, amount are, of money that are, that's are criticizing be this foregone. deal are basically saying, look at my facts no, because the, I'm smarter. You know what? And the therefore, people that and are therefore, criticizing this deal have looked at the facts, unlike you, sir, and we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show.
Ooh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Brian Hernandez. He is the president of the Kendall Democratic Club. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. An absolute pleasure. Thank you, Grant. It, the pleasure is all mine. There's a lot going on out west, and I wanted to start with District 9. It is a county commission seat that has been held by Dennis Moss since I was like a teenager or something, and it is an open seat, and there's going to be a very competitive election. What's going on out there in Kendall? So, uh, yes, there's a lot going on in uh, Kendall. We have a various number of cool projects that the um, – uh, Democratic Party is uh, and the Kendall Democrats are teaming up. We're working to register voters to get people to join uh, vote by mail and make sure that Democrats in the area have everything they need to make sure that they actually do vote. So uh, is there anything going on with the District 9 uh, County Commission race uh, that I just mentioned there? It's a very hot ticket because it's an open seat that has been held by the same commissioner for close to 30 years now. Yes, on the issue of uh, or the race for District 9, I can't speak for Kendall Democrats, but what I think going into the race, it's going to be very fascinating because we have three Democrats, Marlon Hill, uh, Johnny Farias, and Keone McGee running to succeed Dennis Moss. And I personally like all the three candidates. I met them. I think the front runner right now is uh, Mr. McGee, since he is the House Minority uh, Speaker, has will raise a lot of money and has probably the highest name recognition. What is interesting, though, is that since these three candidates are Democrats, they'll likely have the same platform. Um, we'll see who wins. I think this whoever does win in August, that it, it'll reflect um, the strength of Dennis Moss's uh, endorsement and the strength of uh, money in county races. Well, Commissioner Moss endorsed the outgoing Florida House Minority Leader, uh, Keone McGee. Um, you know, we'll see if that that bears out. So what other projects are the Kendall Democrats up to? And, and by the way, where do, you, where do you guys meet? Tell our listeners where they can find out, you know, a little bit more as well. Absolutely. We meet every fourth Wednesday at the uh, Kendall Civic Center, which is located at 8625 Southwest 124th Avenue. Um, every fourth Wednesday at 7 p.m. I encourage anyone in Kendall um, who wants to mobilize to make Donald Trump a one-term president uh, and elect Democrats up and down the ticket. The thing about Kendall is that we are 100% winnable in terms of Democrats winning like state house and local seats. The Democrats are there. We just need to get them out to vote. Right. I mean, there's a couple of state house seats uh, in the Kendall area. For example, uh, isn't it 118 that Reposencio held until this past election? Yes. Yeah, and he lost by a very small margin. So if we got a, another candidate there, perhaps with more money, um, with uh, a very strong message, I think that that seat is 100 uh, percent winnable. Um, but ultimately, um, just to go back on District 9, I think personally that this county race is critical and so are all the other county races because this time we have eight out of 13 county uh, commission posts up for re-election or election. That's a good um, point. That's a good point. How many of those seats are going to be open this time? Um, six of them, because we have uh, Aline Higgins, Joe Martinez. They're going to run for re-election. 
but the other ones are completely open due to uh, term limits. Thank God for term limits because we've had many of these people in those posts for an extremely long time. And Grant, I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely terrified about the rising seas that threaten the livelihoods of every single person in this county. We have traffic that is just unbearable. As someone who lives in Kendall, getting in and out of Kendall is ridiculous. I mean, it's so much time spent in traffic. Wait, you don't uh, just use housing. your helicopter or, or maybe you're <laughs> <laughs> or if you're a commissioner, you're uh, your sergeant at arms and your your free car. Oh, God. Yeah. Some of them are riding SUVs with an entourage. It's oh, not an entourage, but like a driver person. Um, and I'm like, you're just a commissioner. Like, be humble. <laughs> but uh, I won't name names, but I've seen them come in big vans and at events. But um, yeah. And so I think in the case of Monas's, um seat or seat and all the other seats uh, we need every single person in miami to focus on this election it's just as important as state house state senate i would argue that like obviously we got to get rid of trump and that's a big deal but i feel like a lot of people are going to be focused on that let's put some attention and energy and money into these into electing progressive democrats to the county commissioner including in district nine well i think in district nine we'll have a, a much less difficult challenge uh, what about the other districts that include Kendall? I know Joe Martinez is an incumbent, right? Yes, we have District 11 in Kendall, and some of District 8 also uh, is in Kendall, um, and which is Danielle Lovinkava's uh, uh, seat. Which will be open because um, she's running for mayor. Hey, let's talk about that because we have a few minutes left, like three of them. Uh, what do you see going on in the, the county mayor race? It's super exciting. I'm so glad that we are going to have two Democrats in the race. We have Mrs. Levine Cava and we have former uh, Mayor Alex Pinellas who are going to be running. And it doesn't make any sense that Miami-Dade County has had Republican mayors for the you know many, many years. And we are a Democratic county. We have the votes. And we have to look at these races um, in an ideological way to make sure that the things that Democrats and progressives and liberals care about are actually addressed in county politics. So well, isn't it factual to say that former Mayor Pinellas has something to do with what you just said about Democrats not holding the mayorship all these years? He was the last Democrat yeah, think, to hold that position. Right. Um, he has said he doesn't like to make this partisan, but he is a Democrat and his ideas, I think, reflect the Democratic Party. Um, Do they? I mean, Al Gore called him the most dishonest politician in America. <laughs> yes, back in 2000 with the Brooke Brothers riot. Al was an okay uh, I'm Democrat, not gonna opine I thought. On, on that, but I will say that I've, I've um, studied his record, and when he was mayor, he did fight for um, um, the, the environment. The urban development line did not cross uh, more than twice. Uh, sorry, it was not expanded more than twice. He worked on gun violence prevention, uh, HIV AIDS prevention, and um, also was really big on uh, expanding transit. So I think that he had a pretty solid record overall, and I'm glad that he's in the race. So uh, what other uh, issue? Oh, well, let's do this. We've got about, what, a minute left or so? We got we got a few minutes. Okay, good. So, um, you know, we talked about District 118. Uh, what about Javier Estevez in District 115? He includes Kendall as well, right? He's a candidate. Yes, yes. He's running. Uh, his name is Javier Estevez. He's running for state house. Um, 
Uh, and I'm, he ran last year, last year in 2018 against Ana Maria Rodriguez, the incumbent Republican. And he lost by only approximately 400 votes. So it is very much a winnable statehouse district um, that, um, you know, has the numbers. We do have a good number of Democrats. And this district includes Kendall and parts of Monroe County. So it's a very big, wide district, uh, not wide, but tall district, if you will. Um, and I love him. He is a personal friend of mine. He is running on a, a campaign of uh, investing in public education, protecting the environment, uh, paying our teachers well. Um, and he is very active with the Democratic Party. And I think um, I would love to see him. He's also young um, and uh, has a, a good sense of w what's right and wrong. So if you um, want more Democrats in the state house, I highly encourage you to, to Google him and, and donate five or ten dollars to make sure that we get more Dems up in Tallahassee. Yeah, we really need it badly because there's a redistricting year coming up in 2020. Right? Yes, and the Republicans are going to take advantage of that. Uh, so we need as many votes there to make sure it's done in a fair way. That we certainly, certainly do. And then I think the last Kendall Statehouse District we haven't talked about is, uh, well, there's the one that Jeanette Nunez vacated, right? Yes, 119. 119. Isn't that one exclusively in Kendall? It's like West Westchester and West West Kendall, something like that? Correct. Yeah. It's it's basically the, the heart and the gist or the majority of what is considered Kendall. Um, I have not heard of any Democrats that are running. I ran Heath Rasner's campaign last year. He ran in that district. I hope a Democrat does run in that seat. I will say it's very difficult as someone who was, was a campaign manager because it is majority Republican. So whoever does run as a Democrat there needs to be able to raise a substantial amount of money, probably around $100,000, in order to make it a competitive seat. But we should certainly compete there and make sure that the ideas of the Democratic Party are communicated um, and we persuade folks to, to, to do that. We get we got very close last time. Um, you know, I remember going around District 119 and talking to uh, my Cuban friends and neighbors um, who are Republicans, but me talking about Medicare and talking about how Democrats want to reduce prescription drug costs and make sure that more people get health care. And I was able to persuade a number of Republicans to vote for my candidate because I think when Democrats make the case in Republican areas, uh, they can win. It's, it's just we got to take the time and, and money and, and effort to do it. So, Brian, one more time, where can our listeners find out more about the Kendall Democratic Club and where can they at attend the meetings? Absolutely. Um, can, you can uh, search face, on Facebook, Kendall Democrats, or on Twitter and Instagram, at Dems Kendall. Um, folks can also add me on Facebook, Brian Hernandez. Um, and then lastly, our meetings are every fourth Wednesday of every month um, at the Kendall Civic Center, which is located at 8625 Southwest 124 Avenue. And also, just to let people know, we're going to be having a debate watch party for the presidential Democratic debate on July 31st. Um, so if you go search us up on Facebook, you'll be able to find all that information. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thank you, Grant. And that's all the time we have for tonight's Only in Miami show. I'd like to thank Eliazar Melendez and, of course, Brian Hernandez from the T Kendall Democratic Club. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show. Yeah.